Welcome to the Kenosha City Church Podcast. In this message, Pastor Andy goes back to the basics of grace. Learn how to know what grace is, learn how to grow in grace, and learn how to sow grace into others. Enjoy the message. This week we're going to talk about how we can export and share grace with others. And you know, we, you may have entered in this room absolutely just tired, absolutely just uh, maybe you've been striving at something. Uh, maybe maybe you've been striving to work out and it just isn't working out. Uh, maybe you've been striving to practice and you just don't seem to, to get any better. Or maybe you have that inner voice in your head. Uh, maybe it's your inner voice and you never seem to please what the inner voice says. Maybe it's the voice of your parents. Maybe your parents are maybe even passed on, but you still hear them and you just are not good enough. We live in a culture where we strive to be perfect, even though perfection is always out of the grasp, out of our grasp. And the, and the thing is, is that for many of us in the church, we try to reach for God. We try to please God by trying to be perfect before God. And I want to tell you right now, uh, we, it is not about us, uh, our acceptance our, uh, by God, the love that God gives us is not in response to what we do for God, but what he has done already for us through Jesus Christ. You know, for many of us, we struggle with that. In fact, if you, when you wake up, I want you to know your natural disposition is not going to be, okay, I need to receive something that someone's already done for me. Uh, in, this, in reference to Jesus, what he did on the cross for us, we are always gonna wake up and we are always gonna have the, the predisposition that we need to prove ourselves to God so that he loves us and we don't feel like he's mad at us. That's gonna be our general disposition. And I wanna completely erase that and I want you to experience the freedom that you can have in Jesus through the undeserved favor that he's freely giving you. Now, somebody that really struggled with grace, uh, well, we all do, but someone that really deeply struggled with, with just accepting the grace in her own life was my grandma McGowan. Her name was Helen, Helen McGowan. And uh, she was a person that struggled for much of her life with joy and, um, and just the grace that God gives her freely. I remember growing up, I just... She felt so far away from God because she felt like she let God down, that she could never measure up to her own standards. I mean, luckily, my grandma was reached uh, by her sisters for Christ. Uh, this happened before my lifetime. My, my, uh, my great aunts went to a Billy Graham rally. They placed their faith and trust in Jesus, and then they shared with my grandma, and grandma placed her faith in Christ, who then led my dad to Christ, who then in turn led me to Christ. And so I'm standing here today, really the legacy of, of my grandma that, that placed her faith and trust in Jesus. And when she placed her faith and trust in Jesus, she had a, a newfound joy that she had never experienced before. But within that newfound joy, she was still she experienced some really deep depression. Uh, she, had a, she struggled through life through some very uh, big situational things that happened to her. Uh, uh, she grew up in poverty. Uh, she grew up on the farm not knowing if they'd have another meal. Uh, they had to move away from the farm, and they had to sell the farm. She regretted that really to the day that she died. Uh, she, she even lost a child. And, and the thing is is that she did, they didn't grieve well back then, and they, um, there was no support group, you know, a support back then for just things like that. And she fell into just deep depression. But the thing is this is that through the joy of Christ, she was able to experience joy even in the depths of depression. And for some of us that have experienced depression, you know that it's just not like joy one moment and depression one moment. It can be that way, but often it's a duality of, of deep depression yet, yet a high point of joy. It's very hard to, to explain, and this is what my grandma experienced. But the thing is, is that Jesus brought her joy that nothing else could. And when she received the grace, the undeserved favor in her life, 
she realized that there's nothing that she can do. Even though she struggled with it and I heard her struggle with it, I saw the joy come out in her like nobody else. In fact, she had to share Jesus with everybody. And sometimes it got absolutely awkward. Uh, when we were in the restaurant, uh, often she would, she would, oh man, she would just do something cheesy. I want to hide underneath the table. But she's like, I see that you have hamburgers. And yes, we do. But do you have Jesus? I'm like, oh, grandma, no, no, it's cheesy. Cheeseburger, okay. So anyway, so my grandma would do that, right? Uh, she would tell, uh, when, when telemarketers would call her, she had this real gift of, of actually reversing. Typically, when a telemarketer calls us, we hang up on them, right? And so some of you are really nice, but some of you, you're, you're just going to be honest. You hang up on them or, or you don't answer. But she would love to answer the telemarketer. Why? Because she liked talking to them about Jesus. And she had the gift of having the telemarketers hang up on her. It's crazy. It's crazy. And then Jehovah Witnesses. She loved it. They're like Jehovah Witnesses are known for knocking on the doors, right? And so like many of you, if you're being real honest and someone knocks on your door and you saw the little badge or whatever, you're like, I'm hiding underneath the table. All right? No, uh She ran for that door. She's like, JWS, JWS, let me at him. And so like literally she would go to the doors and they would literally like black, black out her house to where they would never come back. Like, don't go to that lady's house. She's crazy, right? And so that was my grandma. And I'm thankful for the next 30 years after she gave her life to Christ, uh, she shared it with anybody and everybody. And I, I believe I'm standing here today because of her faithful witness. Even though she had the depths of depression, she was able to experience the heights of the joy of Jesus. And the reason being is this. The reason why she was able to experience the deep joys even in life's hardships is because grace enables and activates something in your life that otherwise it wouldn't. Grace allows you to get up despite the circumstances of life. Grace allows you to get up no matter what's going on in life. Grace allows you to get up, stand up, and go into the things of Jesus. The thing is, is my grandma reached people, and this is something I say often, is that reached people reach people. You see, if you really understand and unpack and, and really get to the heart of grace, you realize how could grace stay inside of us? How could grace uh, be something that we hide? Like we receive it because somebody gave it freely, but then we want to hold on to it as if it's a personal experience that we don't need to tell anybody about. And I want to tell you, reached people, when you understand what grace is all about, you are compelled to reach other people. And life is too short and the stakes are too high to know what we know and do nothing. Church, this is the my lifeblood. You're going to hear this Sunday in and Sunday out that life is too short. It's too short to just get in the comfort zone. Life is too short. The stakes are too high. We're all sickened with an eternal sickness that we need a remedy. The remedy is Jesus. The stakes are too high to know what we know and keep it in and do nothing, right? And that is our core value. It's about advancing the gospel, it's about advancing the gospel specifically of grace. Grace is God's goodness toward the, towards those who deserve only punishment. Let me say that again. Grace is God's goodness towards those who deserve only punishment. Grace serves as the bridge to an almighty God that we could never cross on our own. So a grace, allow, grace allows you to get up and go. Without grace, you will grow tired. Without grace, uh, you, you will give up. But no matter your background, your status, uh, no, no matter your ethnicity, uh, no matter what you bring to the table, when you receive the grace of Jesus, you can get up, stand up, and go into the things of God. Because grace allows you to get up and go. Talk about three things about grace. If we're going to get up and go, these are the things that we have to know. In fact, that's our first one. We need to know, we need to grow, and we need to sow in grace, okay? We need to know about grace, know what it's all about. We need to grow in grace, and we need to sow grace in others. Our real anchor text this morning is going to be in John chapter 5. So if you can turn your Bibles to John chapter 5, 
uh, in your physical Bibles or your YouVersion Bible app. That would be fantastic. We're going to be in John chapter 5, verse 1, and this is a demonstration of the healing work of Jesus. So John chapter 5, verse 1, after this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. By the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there is a pool called Bethesda, in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. With this lay a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man there was had been there uh, disabled for 38 years, and when Jesus saw him laying there, realized he had already been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to get well? Sir, the disabled man answered, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water stirred up, but I am coming. Someone goes down ahead of me. Verse eight, get up, Jesus told him, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man got well, picked up his mat and started to walk. So some background on this is that Jesus is in Jerusalem. Why? We see that he's at a, some unnamed Jewish festival. It had a name, but it's not important for the context of, of John to include it. What's important here is that whenever there was a festival in Jerusalem, Jesus would be there because that's where the whole world of, of people would come together for this festival. And so as Jesus is there, uh, he goes down to these pools that are known to be healing pools. Now, what's that mean? We, uh, we don't know if, if they actually did provide healing or if that was kind of a legend, but Jesus was about to show what was greater than a pool, all right? And so we have this guy who's been, uh, been had physical special needs for about 38 years, and he was trying to get in this pool, but it was crowded, and he catches Jesus' attention. You see, whenever this pool would well up, they would bubble up, and we, many believe it had to do with the natural spring water coming up into this water. Whenever it'd stir up, people were like, ah, the water's gonna heal somebody. And the water also had a tinge of red in it, which uh, was most likely from the minerals that were in the water. In fact, you just think of this pool as one giant vat of essential oil, all right? And so people wanted to jump into this pool and be healed. And, he, and Jesus noticed this man who has been paralyzed for 38 years, uh, he had to be carried to and fro on what the Bible says is a mat, which is actually a bed, um, to get from one place to the other. Uh, he was, by and large, seen by society uh, as being uh, dead to society. He, he provided no help to society. And so being 38 years of paralytic, he was probably older than that, so he was probably elderly as well. And so society would see this man as not having value, yet he caught Jesus' sight Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to be well? Now think about that statement. That, that's a crazy powerful statement. Do you want to be well? I mean, think about this. If you have an ailment, an ailment that you've had your entire life, maybe you're battling an ailment right now and there's no cure to it and somebody comes up to you and says, you know what? I have something that could get you well. Two questions are gonna cross your mind, okay? How am I gonna get well? And number two, how much is it going to cost me, right? If it's an alternative medicine or an alternative uh, way of, uh, of, of, of medical science, it's usually gonna cost you a lot of money. And so this paralytic's thinking, <laughs> wait a minute, like I have nothing to give. He has nothing to give. And yet Jesus looks at him and says, do you want to get well? And I believe this is a beautiful passage because Jesus is asking somebody if he wants to get well. He's offering to heal him. And this, this man, this paralyzed man, has absolutely nothing that he can offer. There's, nothing, there's absolutely nothing he can do to merit this healing. In fact, what we see here, uh, and this is so foundational of how God works in our life, is that God wants to give freely his good favor upon this man. In fact, that's our first point. 
Our first point is this, is that we need to know the foundations of grace. If, if we're gonna give out grace, we need, to, we need to know the foundations, and th- this is what we need to know. The gospel is about believing and not behaving. The gospel is about believing and not behaving. Now, you do need to behave, but we'll talk about that in a moment, but the essence of receiving the gospel is not about your behavior. You can be the biggest rebel coming to the table, right? You, you, could, you, could, you could have a rap sheet a mile long, and, and, Je- and Jesus is like, uh, no, 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 it's not about that. It's not about earning or having merit. So the man was picked out of the crowd solely by Jesus' sovereign initiative. And as we read the accounts of Jesus elsewhere in the Bible, he often healed to demonstrate there is a kingdom much bigger than the kingdom that we live in or the kingdoms that we live in, right? Jesus is demonstrating something much bigger than what we could imagine has arrived. And the beautiful thing about healing is this, and we believe that healing happens today, is that when that happens, it demonstrates the grace and mercy and kindness that God has for us. So his ultimate goal in healing, though, was not to make life better on this end. I mean, he does. That's not the ultimate ends. The ultimate ends is this, that we would experience life and life to the fullest that we can be even healed spiritually. You see, it's not about just physical ailments. We have something greater in each and every one of us. Is without Jesus, we are just not physically ill, or not spiritually ill, rather. We are spiritually dead. You see, the physical ailment lasts the totality of our lifetime, but our spiritual condition lasts forever. And often in the pursuit of trying to get healthier, Physically, and there's nothing wrong with that, and we, and we should pursue that. But often in the pursuit of that, we miss the big picture, and we are sick spiritually. And Jesus wants us to be well spiritually. But to be well spiritually, it's not about behaving. In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 says this, And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you previously lived according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler and the power of the air, the spirit now working in, diso- in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, as others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, I love that, that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespass. How? You are saved by grace. You can't get any more explicit. We're saved by God's undeserved, our undeserved, his favor upon us. We need God's grace because without it, we are spiritually sick. Worse than that, we are spiritually dead. 100% of us, in the, 100% of us sitting here today, we will face death sometime in our lifetime. There's no way around that unless Jesus comes back in our lifetime. But the thing is this, we often focus on that. The Bible says it's appointed once for a person to die, then they stand before their maker. What's it gonna be like when you stand before your maker? You see, when we try to gain our love and acceptance for Jesus by our works, we, are, we overshadow, our works overshadow the beauty of the gospel and prevent us from standing on the truth that what Jesus did for us. Grace allows you to get up and go. And we see this exactly, this is what happens in verse eight. Jesus told him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man got well and picked up his mat and started to walk. It wasn't because of anything this man did. Grace is not received by your behavior, but by his favor. But the religious people in Jesus' day missed this time and time again. John chapter five, verse nine. Now the day was the Sabbath, and so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. 
The man replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you this? Pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Man, this is just profound because uh, let's back up here. So Jesus healed on a day called the Sabbath. In the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a day where uh, Saturday uh, that you were to do no work. You were to do no work uh, before the Lord. So you weren't to go to your job. By the time Jesus enters the scene, uh, the religious authorities, the rabbis, added so many more layers, so many man rules on top of the Old Testament uh, law uh, that the Sabbath had become something totally way beyond what Scripture had ever wanted it to be. In fact, some people wouldn't even get out of bed on that day. Uh, Gerald Bouchard says this, the Sabbath had become a pervading theme in Jewish life. So significant was the Sabbath that a major section of the Jewish teaching was devoted to the Sabbath rules. Sabbath obedience became, in fact, an end times issue because it was thought that the coming of the Messiah, the coming of the Savior, was linked to keeping one's perfect Sabbath. If you kept the Sabbath perfect, or we all kept the Sabbath perfect, perfect, then Jesus, or their Messiah, would come quicker. Okay? And so, like, if you broke the Sabbath, I'd be like, hey, why are you breaking the Sabbath? You're making it harder. We just added 15 more days, okay? Why'd you do that? And so Jesus is coming, and they didn't see Jesus as God, even though Jesus is God, right? And Jesus heals this paralytic. This paralytic is healed, stands up, picks up his bed, and he begins to walk. Now, you or I, if we were there, we'd be like, well, look at this guy. Isn't that the guy that's been begging for 38 years? He's not only walking, he's carrying his mat. He's carrying his bed. Isn't that amazing? But the religious folks, uh, their, their religion, uh, their dead religion, uh, their works-based heart overshadowed the work of God. And they didn't see the healing, they saw the mat. And they're like, what is this guy doing carrying his mat? Hey, you, oh, never mind that you've been healed. Why are you carrying that mat? You are, you are overshadowing what God can do now. You are stopping God. And the, the, the religious people thought they could save themselves. And because they thought they could save themselves, it overshadowed God who came to save through Jesus Christ. Church, we can point our finger at the Pharisees, it's so easy to point and say, ha, oh, I can't believe they would do that. Look, they're yelling at him for picking up his mat. How dumb is that? But church, whenever we try to prove ourselves to God, whenever we get into this self-righteous mode, whenever we try to, try to work our way to heaven, we are overshadowing the beauty of God's grace and we'll begin to emphasize things that shouldn't be emphasized. We'll begin to emphasize things that aren't of God. You see, Jesus, he adhered to the Old Testament law. He adhered to all of scripture. He took God at his word. He did not break scripture. But one thing that Jesus didn't give a rip about was the works of man. You see, if people are gonna put ideals or, or laws above God's law, what was happening with the religious people is those became more important than scripture, scripture themselves. Church, whenever we, whenever we try to become self-righteous, our works, our ambition, our goals, our whatever become more important than the will of God in your life and the revelation of God in his word. It's a dangerous spot to be in, and this is precisely why the religious people missed it. Dead religion misses out on grace. So we need to think of this simple equation. This is the equation. Faith plus grace plus nothing. The reason why I said plus nothing is because we try to add something. Faith plus grace 
plus baptism. Ant eh, wrong. Uh, faith plus grace uh, plus reading your Bible every day. Ant eh, wrong. Those, by the way, those two things are really good. We talked about baptism, right? I want you to read your Bible every day, right? That doesn't save you, though. Uh, faith plus grace plus church attendance. Ant eh, wrong. I'm glad you all here. We need to be here every Sunday, right? Faith plus grace plus uh, uh, hel- helping somebody uh, across the street. Ant eh, wrong. No. Faith plus grace plus nothing. Every world religion, every other world religion has a blood, sweat, and tears approach to earning eternal life or earthly happiness. When you read the Old Testament, you will inevitably read about blood uh, sacrifices, uh, when they would have sacrifices of animals, uh, for animal si- sacrifices throughout the ages, whether it be from the Old Testament Canaanites to the Israelites in the Old Testament, the more modern versions of some branches of Hinduism and other tribal religions have been using blood sacrifices for some time. In fact, the idea that something has to be offered either to appease a God or to suffer in our place for the sins that we committed has been part of our human DNA since the garden, since Adam and Eve, from when Adam and Eve sinned, an animal was slaughtered by God himself to cover up their nakedness. Hebrews 10.4 makes it clear, though, it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sin. Every real religion except for Christianity has this. Every world religion except for a belief in Jesus Christ uses what I call a ladder approach. And yet, whenever you try to climb to God, when every other world religion has the ladder approach, it leaves you still reaching. It leaves you still wondering, hey, can I reach God? Why am I still reaching? Why am I still reaching? Every world religion has a ladder approach. And what happens with Jesus, he trades the ladder in for the cross. You see, we didn't have to climb the cross because Jesus went to the cross. He was nailed hand by hand and in the feet. He went to the cross, and he said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He said, it is finished. Your slate, your sin debt was washed clean, clean by the blood of Jesus. You see, we can try the ladder, but we'll always be reaching. But on the cross, he said, it is finished, church. It is finished. And that's what grace is all about. That's what grace is all about. And if you hang out on the ladder long enough, you'll try to stand to the top. You'll get on your tiptoes, and eventually you'll get tired, and eventually you'll fall. And eventually you say, I'm not doing that anymore. You'll give up on God altogether. Give up on the ladder, not God, because God didn't give up on you. He went to the cross to die for you, and that's what grace is all about. It's free, church. It's free. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, the man who has faith is the man who no longer is looking at himself and no longer looking to himself. He no longer looks at anything he once was. He does not look at what he has now. does not even look at what he hopes to be as a result of his own efforts. He looks entirely to Lord Jesus. You see, let's look at this statement. It's not about our behavior. It's about believing, not our behavior. So let's talk about belief. Believing is not an intellectual agreement or assent. Real faith is an active trust. It's not a perfect trust. It's an active trust. There's a big difference between believing the facts that Jesus died on the cross and actually believing in your heart that Jesus died on the cross. You see, the Bible says the demons believe and they shudder. You see, the Bible's very clear. The demons know that Jesus went to the cross. They tried to prevent him to come down from the cross. Or to come down from the cross. They tried preventing him to going to the cross. Some of the critics are like, come down from that cross. If you're really God, just come down. I believe that Satan realized, oh, crud, I've been had. (laughs) Get down from there, right? The enemy wants nothing more to seek, kill, and destroy. But the enemy also knows that Jesus is God, but the pride in his heart, he's unable to receive him as Savior. And the thing is, is that some of us maybe even be in this church this morning where we have 
ideas and facts in our head about God, but we've never placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone as our Savior. So our faith, believing it's an active faith, it's an act of trust. If you believe something, your life will begin to reflect it. Now, don't get this mixed up. It's not that what you do earns your salvation. That's wrong. It's works-based. That's not what we see in the Bible. That's not saving faith. It's rather, we understand Jesus did it all. He said it is finished. And because it is finished, when we place our faith and trust in him alone, our life begins to reflect. We, we have a heart of gratitude of what Jesus did for us. Don't get it flipped. Remember, it's faith plus grace plus nothing, but it doesn't mean that our life shouldn't reflect it. It should if we really believe it, but it's not what you do that gets you there. It's Jesus did it for you, and our life reflects it because of that. Second point, so we need to know. Second point is we need to grow. The gospel of grace gives new understanding of who you are in Christ. Quite frankly, if you don't know who you are in Christ, it's gonna be impossible for you to grow into your full potential of what you can be in Christ. When we talk about knowing who you are in Christ, we're talking primarily about two things, your identity and whose family you belong to. So let's, uh, let's break that down a little bit because I believe there's such confusion, even in the church, but definitely in culture, about I ideas of identity and what family is. You see, we think identity is up for our own making. It's not. Identity is God's making, and we have a choice. Are we gonna follow the identity that God has for us, or are we gonna try to make our own identity? And if we do make our own identity, we are inevitably becoming our own God. There's big ramifications there. So we need to understand our identity and our family if we're gonna grow in the grace, that undeserved favor that God is giving us. So let's talk about uh, identity first. Uh, I, I have a friend. He's in his mid-60s. He, you would be considered just a regular guy. Uh, he was a youth pastor for many years in Minnesota. Uh, he, he was stricken with cancer. It was inoperable cancer. Uh, doctors left him for dead. He had people come over that believed that he could be healed. They came over, and that, that tumor just went, whoop, all right? And it's gone, and it's been gone for literally, actually, I think it's a, the size of a ballpoint pen, and, it's, just, and it's, it's not gotten any bigger, all right? And so, but this thing should have killed him, and that was like 20 years ago, all right? So the thing is, is God is a healing God, isn't he? Amen? And so, but he would be considered a, a, just a regular dude. But there was one moment he got on his knees and oh boy, I'm going to tell you a powerful prayer is when you say this, God, I'll do anything for you. He was in desperate. He's like, I'll do anything for you. Well, when he was healed from the cancer, he went to Poland. His wife was Polish. She was from the Promitz family and he was going to go into this small town, the small town of um, Zari is what it's called. And so he went in to, to uh, ask about the family tree, the family crest, and the person in the town thought he was just kidding. He's like, no, 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 and he showed him all this research that he had, and he realized, my wife Brenda is in the direct line of the forgotten Prussian Empire. You see, the people in Poland, they turned ghostly white. They thought anybody in this family had been scattered and then died, and there was no living heir to the kingdom. And they realized, we're looking at an heir to the kingdom. Overnight, Richard and his wife and Brenda went from normal people to royalty. And as a result, they inherited castles. They inherited all the, the royal vestments and all the things in the museums. They could overnight become billionaires. But you know what he did instead? He realized what his true identity was. It's a son and daughter of a king that's above all the other kings and all the other kingdoms. He said, Poland, how about we work in partnership with the, with the, with the castles? You keep them as museums, but we use them for ministry. And right now in Poland and all throughout Central Europe, where these Prussian uh, 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 castles are at, 
ministry is happening and people are receiving Christ in these castles, in these old Prussian Empire castles. Now, church, I want you to know, he had to learn how to be royal. He had to learn to be, be royal. He had to learn about his new identity. And we are in the same boat. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, when you receive the grace of Jesus, we have to learn our new identity. We might know about it, but we have to learn about it, that you are a favored son and daughter of the king. There is favor over your life. He wants the best for you. He has come to give you life and life abundantly. And he's given you to where grace can go out. Well, I don't think I have a life that can be influential. And eh, wrong. You might not be influential, but the one who is is gonna work through you because you are a son and daughter of the king. You can be the worst speaker that you wanna be, but if you're a son of the emperor, people are gonna lean in and listen. I want you to know, you don't have to have an oration style speaking. Uh, you don't have to have your words all planned out. Uh, you don't have to be the most important in whatever you're doing. In fact, quite the contrary. God often uses the meek and the, the humble and the people that are typically passed over to do mighty things of the Lord. You've got to remember what your identity is. And as we remember identity, we've got to remember whose family we're part of. We've been adopted. During the time of Jesus in Rome, adoption was a very common among the very rich political class. It was typically reserved for boys to establish an inheritance line, uh, and they would often intermarry with other families to create these huge, gigantic power blocks. So when, we, when people heard adoption in the, in the days of Jesus or in the New Testament era, it was usually reserved for aristocratic political people. But Paul talks about adoption uh, to the new church in the book of Romans. He says this in Romans 8, 15, for you did not receive a spirit, here's our inheritance, folks, he did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you, you received the spirit of adoption. Will we cry, Abba, Father? I want you to know what that phrase means. It's not just like, okay, I'm adopted and, I, and there's a God somewhere out there and he's my heavenly father. No, and wrong. There's, an, there's a, 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 a spirit of intimacy in this word here that we have close access to the living God. Verse 16, the spirit himself testify together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children also heirs and heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Listen, Spiritual adoption is not just for boys, it's for girls, it's not just for the aristocratic, it's for those even that are in poverty, it's not just for one class or one ethnicity. It is for all classes, it's for all ethnicity, it's for all races. Church, this is why I say this every single time. I can't wait and I love just how it's mixing it up a little bit in here that this should look a little bit like heaven. We should reflect Kenosha, but it should reflect heaven that we have all ethnicities, uh, classes, socioeconomic economical classes, uh, people of, of all races in this room praising Jesus. Why? Because adoption doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter what country you were born from or your ancestors came from. It is, do you believe in the name of the Son of God? Do you believe in the name of Jesus? And if you believe in the name of Jesus, we are all one family church. When I was in seminary, my friend Tony and I, we, we uh, were in Greek class together, so we spent a lot of times the Dunkin' Donuts off Highway 41 in Highland Park. And we would spend a lot, a lot of times there um, just studying and we get to know different people. And there was one individual that approached us and saw that we were studying. He approached Tony and he said, hey, what are you studying? And Tony started talking to this guy, his name's Alfonso, uh, about, about Jesus. And this conversation started to really drag on. And I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, 
oh my gosh, I'm going to miss class. This is like an important class. And I wasn't the driver that day. So I'm like, do I interrupt a gospel conversation or do I go to class and talk about Jesus? I'm in a conundrum here. I think we need to stay here at the Dunkin' Donuts, right? Hope the professor uh, understands. He should. And so, but anyway, Tony, one thing led to another and Tony was able to leave Alfonso to Christ that day. It was amazing. In fact, Tony and I look back at that day and we call it our Holy Donut Day. We, whenever he comes to town, I'm like, you want to get a Holy Donut? Want to get a Holy Donut? And so, um, but uh, what was even more incredible in my memory is the next day when we went to Dunkin' Donuts, Alfonso called Tony and he said, hey, are you going to be at Dunkin' Donuts? And he said, yeah, I'm going to be at Dunkin'. It was okay, I'll meet you there. And so he came in and he found Tony in his typical seat eating his typical donut. But Alfonso was holding onto this wooden bowl with etched in artwork on the bowl. And he said, Tony, I want to give you the most important thing I have in my life because you gave me the most important thing in my life. And, and that's Jesus. I want you to have this bowl. And at first, Tony was like, no, 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 Alfonso, you don't have to pay for Jesus. He goes, no, 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 I know that. But because of who I am in Christ and whose family I'm in, I want you to have this because I want you to understand this. This bowl is a family heirloom. It's been handed down for generations and was handed down to me. And I've placed my faith and trust in Jesus. And you're now my brother. And now you are inheriting what's most important to me. Guys, that is beautiful. And that's what the church is like. That is what the body of Christ is all about. That when we place our faith and trust in Jesus, we are one family and we all receive the inheritance of Jesus. Grace allows you to get up and go. So we need to know it. We need to grow in it. We won't grow in it unless we don't know our identity and whose family we belong to. But finally, when you do know that, you do grow in it, you're ready to sow it. Oh, and listen, each and every one of you, if you're a follower of Christ, you're ready to sow it. But sowing is a is a, a term of, of, of like seeds. If you've ever put out grass seed and you drop it to the ground and you water it, that's called sowing it, right? And so the, the, the interesting thing about a seed, though, is you can, have, uh, you can put seeds in a packet for years, and if the seeds don't hit the ground, they don't do anything, right? They're just a seed. And for many of us in the church, we have, we have the seed of grace in our life, right? We're holding on to seeds that we can be giving out freely to other people because grace is free, right? But the, but the thing is this, is that seeds will not turn into life if they're not sown, okay? So this is what has to happen, is that we have to have the seeds in our hands, and we need to chuck these seeds on the ground. But here's the deal. A lot of times, we don't chuck the seeds on the ground. A lot of times, we don't sow into other people's lives because we're afraid of how they're going to react, or we're afraid of the results. But let me just put you at ease, is that obedience is chucking the seed and the results is left up to our savior okay so the results we focus on the results like is this person going to receive it or what happens if this person just doesn't receive my invite or if this person does this or that this is the deal lovingly and lovingly and relationally chuck those seeds and trust in the sovereignty of god to bring the results of the seeds if you don't chuck seeds nothing will happen but when you chuck seeds and god brings the rain something beautiful happens the seeds come alive the seeds come alive listen without the seeds of grace without the gospel of grace we would all stand here this morning we'd all sit here this morning dead spiritually because jesus christ died on the cross he is able to give us the seed of grace that germinated into life making us born again church we need to chuck seeds we need to chuck seeds somebody planted that seed in your life and it grew into new spiritual life and we need to do that accordingly when the paralytic was healed interestingly enough he was not much of a witness i mean he was happy he was healed and he had enough faith that when 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 jesus said hey you're healed he actually got up and picked up his mat i believe that some of us if we were stricken for 38 years an illness, if Jesus declared over us, you're healed, many of us would still sit there like we were ill. We wouldn't believe him. We wouldn't even believe our newfound strength. Like, well, that's impossible. That's impossible. You, you got to give credit to the paralytic. He got healed, and he, and he believed it, and he stood up and carried his mat. 
All right, we got to give him credit there. But he's aloof in a little bit in other places. When, when, the, uh, when the religious people ask him who did this, he's like, I don't know. I don't know. I think it was him over there. It was him over, oh, yeah, it was him over there, yeah. What's his name? I don't know. Like, if, if somebody was praying over you and God healed you in that moment, I, I, I believe most of us would say, what's your name? Where'd you come from? Can I know a little bit about you? You'd exchange information, right? You wouldn't be like, oh, well, that was weird. I can walk now. That's cool. You know? Like, we wouldn't do that. That's not gratitude. But we do see a place where Jesus healed somebody and gratitude welled up to where we even made a song about it. In chapter 9 of John, we see John uh, chapter 9, there's a man who was blind. He was a beggar on the side of the road because he was blind, and he would just hold out his hands. And Jesus saw him, want to be healed, took up, the, took up the, some dirt from the road, spit in it, made mud, put it over his eyes. He said, go in this pool and wash, and when you do, you will be healed. He went in this pool, he washed, and he was able to see, and he began to walk. Now, could you imagine this? A man who's in the city, blind and begging his entire life. People are like, oh, there he is, there he is. But could you imagine his neighbors this one day? He's like, boom, 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 boom. hey, how you doing? I'm like, whoa, what just happened there? In fact, that's what we see here. In verse, uh, verse 10 of chapter nine, they say, so they asked him, then how were your eyes opened? And he answered them, the man called Jesus. Oh, he was happy. He inquired. He got to know the person that spoke healing over him. Now, he, the man called Jesus made mud, spread it on my eyes, and he told me, go to Siloam and wash. So when I went and washed, I received my sight. And of course, guess what day Jesus did this on? The Sabbath day. Why? Because Jesus honors his word, but he doesn't give a rip about man's word, right? He doesn't give a rip about when, when people are holy. In fact, it angers him when man's word becomes even greater than God's word. Church, sometimes we get this flipped. We get so bent out of shape on things that are uh, works of man when say, what does God's word say about it? We take God at his word. And so, of course, the religious authorities, right, because it's the Sabbath, oh, he's doing it again. That's 25 more years of the Savior not coming. Who did this? Jesus, oh, we got to get him. We got to destroy him. Who did this to you? Why? Verse nine, uh, chapter 9, verse 25, one thing I do know, because they said, how do you do it? I don't know, but one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. You see, if we're a follower of Christ, you have been reached and as a result, we need to reach. Grace can take you out of any circumstance, from a broken marriage, from the, the loss of finances, to loss of something significant, uh, to even begging on the side of the road. God can take you up, and he can literally make miracles out of murly clay, out of mud. He can make a miracle in your life, because Jesus is the maker of miracles. And he's given you grace so that you can give out grace. Our, our last and lasting mandate by Jesus, Jesus said this, to go and make disciples. Go, get up and go, make disciples. We're to make disciples, that's followers of Christ, who make disciples, who make disciples until we die or Jesus comes back. If you're a follower of Christ, this is the last and lasting mandate that Jesus has for us. It's part of the Great Commission, or what we call the cause. It's a cause that supersedes all other causes. Whereas cause, where the causes of this world try to help out physical things, the cause of all causes is the answer to our spiritual death. And so how do we reach people? Well, first off, we need to pray for them, and then we need to care for them. That means actually care for that person. People aren't projects, they're people. And so we care for them, whether they're going to receive Jesus or not. We're going to care for them. It's our mandate, right? And then we're going to share with them. We're going to share with them the grace of Jesus. We're going to share with them the grace of Jesus. We're to be a church 
that I believe provides water for the thirsty and living water for the spiritually thirsty. You see, oftentimes we, we become a church like, well, we're gonna do this and we're gonna do this, but we're gonna choose one. Eh, wrong. We wanna choose it all because that's what Jesus was about, right? So we need to pray, we need to care, we need to share. We're gonna, we're gonna provide water and, and living water. We're gonna provide bread and the bread of life. We're gonna provide a home for the homeless and a home for the eternal homeless. We wanna see Kenosha blessed, both physically and spiritually. So we need to start praying for our friends, our family that are far from Christ this morning. We wanna care for them and showing exuberant care and showing outrageous generosity. And we wanna share, we wanna invite, because grace is free. Sow that seed because grace is free. I'm gonna close with this story. I was at the same Dunkin' Donuts in college. It was three in the morning, probably a Greek test or quiz, I don't remember the next day. But I got to know the guy that ran the Dunkin'. He's like, come here, Andy, come here, come here. And I was like, what, what, what? He's like, it's turnover time. I was like, what's turnover time? He's like, it's when I turn the donuts over. It means I have to throw the donuts out and put the fresh donuts in. And he gets this big box out and he goes, help me fill it. So we begin to fill all the donuts in this box. There was like over 100 donuts. And then he said, these donuts are yours. How much? Free, really? Sweet. And I'm like holding on this box at three in the morning. I'm driving onto Trinity's campus in different. I'm like, what am I going to do with these day old donuts at 3 a.m.? I know. I'll see who else is up right now in, in, the, in the student lounge. So I go in the student lounge. There's two people in there. I'm like, hey. And I was like, what's the matter with you? I got free donuts. They're free. I'm like, oh, sweet. They're like, oh, you know, and they start eating the donuts. I'm like, because it's free. If you hear the word free, you are going to beckon. You're going to go to the call of free, and you're going to figure out what's free. And guess what? They started telling everybody else that was awake. And so the room had like 10 to 15 people like, free, how much free? Why are they free? Because they were giving to me free. And so we began to eat all these donuts, and then it began to spread where people literally started getting out of bed at 3 in the morning to eat free day-old donuts. And it culminated with something I want to get out of my memory. I'm sorry, but one of my one of the guys from my suite, he was half asleep, probably sleepwalking, and his tidy whities comes up, eats three donuts, then goes back to bed. The next morning, I asked him, Do you remember doing that? That was outrageous, and it was actually kind of wrong. I'm like, why did you do that? He goes, I did that. I was like, Yeah, you did, but you know what? The power of free will wake the dead, won't it? Here's the thing: it's free. It's free. And if people go nuts over free, they go freaky over free. If they'll go freaky over a day-old donut. Don't you think people are going to go freaky over Jesus who gives the grace that surpasses any sin, the grace that covers any sin, the grace that gives us life and is the bridge to eternal life? Church, may we never be a church that's a holy huddle, that we huddle around on Sunday morning. And listen, being fully devoted means that we worship our guts out, we give them the highest praise, that we minister to one another. But how dare us if we ever hold it inside just for ourselves, right? But I want to say that as a warning, is that we will naturally be inclined to ourselves, and we need to die to ourselves so that we give grace that's been freely given to us that we can give to other people. And we need to reach the city, people that are far from God. May we never hold it inside our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the grace upon grace upon grace that covers any and every sin. As we continue to pray right now, I just wanna to speak to those that today you're uncertain or you know you've never personally received the grace of Jesus. It's, it's one thing to know about it. Maybe you've been in the church world, you've gone to church a little bit and you've known about it. But the thing is, even the demons know and shudder. If you've never personally said to Jesus, Jesus, I need you, I need you to save me, I wanna receive your grace. If you've never personally Asked Jesus for that. You haven't received it. 
you need to ask, you need to cry out to God to receive. So today we're gonna give you that opportunity that you can cry out to Jesus, that you can say yes to Jesus. I'm saying yes to you, Jesus. I wanna receive your undeserved favor. I wanna receive your forgiveness because he went to the cross in your place to pay for sins that separated you from God. Jesus died on the cross, but because he was a sinless, perfect sacrifice, death couldn't keep him. He rose from the dead. And that's why we celebrate and we go crazy in Easter because every other guru's in the grave today, but the grave is empty because Jesus rose from the dead. The Bible's very clear. If you place your faith and trust in him alone, you will be saved. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. If you would like to know more about Kenosha City Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Kenosha City Church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this episode, we encourage you to follow us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Kenosha City Church, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus.